0: In 2010, the Relatives and Residents Association did a survey of care and nursing homes in the UK and found that 40,000 elderly relatives were living in social isolation. 13,000 of these received no letters, calls or visits from their family at all, leaving them to a life of loneliness. There are all sorts of factors at play here, but this lack of care from grown-up children towards their elderly parents is a great indictment on our individualistic society. It is also presenting an increasing challenge to an already overstretched social care system. There really are some very sad consequences to children not honouring their parents. But what about the other way around? As I was preparing this sermon, I found some research that has been done on the backgrounds of the UK prison population since 1990. There were some telling statistics. Seven out of ten offenders come from broken homes. 46% of prisoners had either experienced or witnessed violence as a child in the family home. Alongside this was another article that I read into the causes of mental health issues. According to Stanford University, children who have experienced four occasions of either neglect, abuse or violence within the family home are 30 times more likely to experience mental illness. The link between mental illness and suffering within the family home is undeniable. One commentator wrote, Mental illness is by and large caused by an absence of or defect in the love that a child requires. The feeling of value essential for good mental health is acquired in childhood and is difficult to find later in life. It appears as a society we are only just waking up to the fundamental significance of the family home, the family unit and the family life there are very sad consequences to parents not honouring their children. When we hear statistics like these, it makes us groan inside. It makes us want to cry out, surely there must be a better way. Well, as Christians, we believe that there is. And as a church, we're in the section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians where we are being told exactly what that way is. Here is the Lord's golden piece of advice for all our relationships. It came in the opening verse to this section, Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Mutual submission is the better way. Last time we saw how that was true for our marriages, but it is also true for the way parents and children relate to each other and employers and employees. In the Bible, submission is not a weakness. It is a conscious choice by both parties in a relationship to put the needs of the other before their own. It is the ongoing commitment to try and live and love like Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, earlier at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul wrote this to his readers in an attempt to encourage us all to respond to the wonderful things God has done for us. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We worship Jesus, who loved us so much he is prepared to submit himself to death for our benefit. We worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who refuse to use his power to crush and to dominate but to serve and to heal. Paul really believes if we seek to live lives shaped by the love of Jesus and modelled on his example, the people around us will flourish. As they flourish, we will flourish. Indeed, the whole community will flourish. God's life will flood the scene. If we submit to one another like Christ submitted himself to us, we will begin to shine out like lights in a very dark world, demonstrating to all that there is a different way of being human, a way that benefits all those we are in relationships with. In this sermon, we're going to think about how this might work in both the home and the workplace. Let us begin, as Paul does in the first four verses, by thinking about the relationship between parents and children in the home. To help us with this, a little background information will be helpful. Back in the ancient Near East, when Paul was writing this letter, all the emphasis was on children to honour their parents, serve their parents' desires. In the Roman world, the power of parents, and fathers in particular, was almost unlimited. The father had the right to decide if a newborn baby was allowed to live or die. They could sell their children into slavery to make money. They could punish their children harshly and whip them to make them work harder. One writer wrote that a father who loves his son will whip and beat him often while he is still a child. A father should not pamper his son, play with him, or share his laughter. So you can see just what life was like. All power was with the parents. Children were little more than servants. So when ancient philosophers drew up their codes of behaviour, all of the weight of responsibility was on the child. They were to be obedient, they were to serve their parents, they were to make their parents' lives easier. So just imagine in this context how controversial Paul's instruction that parents should also submit to their children just as children submit to them would have been. That parents must behave appropriately to their children. That they must not be harsh or provocative. That parents have a master too, and that is God. The God of justice and judgment. The Lord who constantly watches how parents treat their children. This was hugely controversial, hugely countercultural, but totally rooted in Paul's understanding of the gospel. If children and parents submitted to one another like Christ submitted his life on the cross, all would come to know something of his love and life. Let's see what Paul actually wrote on this. Paul begins with the responsibility on children to submit to their parents, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Children then were to obey their parents. And in the ancient world, there would have been no doubt that this instruction had played right up through old age to their deaths. But children were not to obey just because this was what society dictated. Rather, they were to do it because it was right in the eyes of the Lord. Paul goes on to quote the fifth commandment to show that this is the case. Honour your father and mother. But with all this talk of law, Paul is quick to point out that when the Lord gave to Moses this commandment, it came with a promise attached to it. If Israel honoured their parents, then they would have a long and good life in the land that God had promised them. Right from the dawn of Israel, God saw the family unit as the essential foundation block of his covenant people. But the law was also clear that this instruction was about more than just keeping a stable community. Rather, children were to honour their parents because their parents had a very important task to perform. Straight after the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 6 comes this instruction to parents. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Parents were to pass on the word of God. And therefore, if obedient children listened to their parents, they would greatly benefit. And as we shall now see, this responsibility of parents to pass on God's word was of critical importance to Paul. In verse 4 of our reading, Paul turns everything round and speaks of the responsibilities of the parents to submit themselves to their children. He says, "Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord." Paul turns his attention to fathers, partly because fathers were the ones tempted by society to wield their power harshly, but predominantly it was because in the ancient world, fathers had the responsibility to instruct their children from the age of seven upwards. It's also worth noting that Paul says the father was not to exasperate his children rather than just his sons. In the ancient world, girls did not receive a formal education, they were just taught household duties by their mother. But Paul refuses to accept such limitation. Fathers were to treat their children equally and so were to teach girls the faith as much as boys. When we understand that Paul has in mind the passing on of the faith, we can now see why he instructs parents not to be harsh to their children, not to exasperate them or provoke them to anger. Because if you disenfranchise your children, you make them less receptive to to the word of God that you have to pass on to them. Parents are instead then to do all they can to encourage their children in the ways of the Lord. Paul wants parents to nurture their children with great love and devotion. Parents are to train and instruct their children. In simple terms, parents are to devote all of their power to enhancing their children's walk with God, not to exploit them for their own ends. And children, in turn, are to use all of their power to let their children, their parents do it. This is a picture of humility, love, submission, which, as we have said, is the key ethic of this entire section of Paul's letter. Now, there is nothing old-fashioned or outdated about these instructions. Paul is setting out the grounds for a family life that is a place of love and security and affirmation and discipleship. For Paul, the Christian family is a vital place for growth towards God, the foremost place for learning to be like Jesus. Christian parents then are to be nurturers, especially in the home. Children are not to be ignored or merely tolerated, but cared for and instructed about Jesus. The family has no asset more valuable than their children. And parents must see their children as their number one priority, giving the best of their time and resources to ensure that their relationship flourishes. Parents are also to be people of integrity. Not caring and popular in public, but demons at home. For all of us our most important place of Christian witness is in our families and what a tragedy it would be if our children turned their back on faith because of the hypocrisy of their so-called Christian parents. And in return children are to give back what their parents give them. Respect, love, gratitude and assistance. Once old enough children should play their part in helping the whole family grow to be more like Jesus. At times they'll have to forgive their parents and at times parents will have to forgive them but the children will definitely need to keep caring for their parents wherever possible right to the end of their lives if we learn to live like this our children will be given the best start possible in their walk of faith but the world will also be shown a whole new way of doing family our prisons and mental health wards will be emptier and our care homes will be places of warmth and value And through all of this, our world will come to see something of Jesus through the witness of each Christian home and family. They will see the God of compassion and love. They will see the God who has placed his image in all people and values them so highly he submitted his very life to rescue them. Of course, none of us are perfect parents and none of us are perfect children. But we can all ask God for forgiveness and help. And we can ask God's Spirit to help us follow this great advice in our lives today. If we do, a real difference will become evident. This then brings us to the second part of our passage. In verse 5, Paul turns his attention from the home to the workplace. But it soon becomes clear that his instruction is exactly the same. Christians in all positions are to submit to one another. Employers and employees are to submit to one another. Again, it would be helpful here to have a little bit of background information. In the ancient Near East, slavery was almost universal. A very high percentage of the population were slaves. They constituted the workforce, both as servants and manual labourers, as well as educated teachers and doctors. The world worked on slaves in the same way that ours does on electricity. As these we read these verses then, we're not so much to think of the transatlantic slave trade of recent centuries, which was brutal and abhorrent and rightly abolished, Instead, these verses can be applied by Christians today to the general workplace. Paul begins by stating that Christian workers are to respect their masters. Listen again to verses 5 to 8. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the lord not people because you know that the lord will reward each one for whatever good they do whether they are slave or free christian employees then are to submit to their employers by doing what is required of them as well as they can they're to work with sincerity serving their bosses with integrity they're not to work begrudgingly but do all their tasks as if they were doing them for jesus Now, all of this would sound a little bit oppressive if Paul didn't then tell masters to submit in return to treat their employees in the same way. And that's exactly what he does. Listen to verse nine. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Now in Paul's day, the idea that slave owners should respect, honour and show consideration to their slaves was a radical departure from the normal structures of the workplace. But it was entirely in keeping with this teaching for believers to submit to one another. If Christian employers and employees could commit to doing this in the workplace, the watching world would learn something important about God. In Christ, there is no slave or free. All human beings are equally made in God's image. All human beings equally rely on the love and sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus modeled a life of completely different values to the world, and we're called to follow it. If the members of this church, myself included, can live these values in our place of work, we will bring a blessing to those we work with, and we will be forming a powerful witness to the love of Jesus. Now, I don't know what it is that you will have taken away from this short passage. Maybe you've been thinking as a parent, maybe as a child, maybe you're an employer, maybe an employee. Whatever the case, all relationships have power dynamics within them and we all need to think about how we use the authority and responsibility that we have. Ultimately, what this passage is calling us to is to live our lives as much like Jesus as we possibly can. The Jesus who was king, but rode a gentle donkey. The Jesus who was Lord of heaven, but stepped down to earth and gave his life on the cross. The Jesus who had all the power in the world and used it to serve those in need. If we can live with those values of humility and compassion, if we can live a life submitted to the people around us, we will be forming a witness to Jesus. A witness many people on Isla desperately need to see. May God help us this week to live like Jesus in our homes and our workplaces. May we set out with this vision and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the guidance and the power To carry it out.